0: Just be honest. 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 Just be real. Just be true. It's the only way to be free. Just be honest. It's the only way to be. Just be real. Just be true. It's the only way to be. free. free. Just be honest. So, welcome to the Sworn Testimonies podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Doctor UK. Uh, Dr. UK, can you please tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do for a living?
1: Sure. Um, the question about who I am is always a tricky one. I have a tendency to go far, far back. So I'll try to keep it brief, but I always think it's nice to have context, obviously, of like truly where people come from and their background. So I um am Nigerian-American, a Nigerian-American Black woman specifically. I was born and raised in Southern California. My parents came here when they were going to college and graded med school and then, you know, stayed. And so my siblings and I were all born in California. Um, came out to the East Coast for kind of undergrad. I went to, um, I studied economics and global health at Princeton and then um, went to medical school at Columbia, did my little stint in New York, and then in the middle of medical school, got a master's in public health from Harvard um, in health and social behavior, maternal and child health. Wait,
0: um, in the middle of medical school?
1: Yeah, between, which is not uncommon. I don't know if your brother or your mom <laughs> did any of this, but between third and fourth year of medical school, often people might take their gap year, especially if they're getting a dual degree. So I did between my third and fourth year of med school, you can stay at the same institution or you can oftentimes, as long as it fits in your schedule, go to an institution. I wanted a new vibe, a new, a change of pace. Um, and so I went to Harvard for my MPH. And so I finished that and wow. came back and did fourth year of med school. Yeah. Back at Columbia. And when I finished, I finally set myself on the path to what I'm doing now. So I did my OBGYN residency back in Boston at Brigham and Mass General. Um, And now I am on my third and final year of training as a maternal fetal medicine fellow at Columbia. Um, So as a maternal fetal medicine specialist, um, I would take care of essentially high risk pregnancies. So pregnancies that are high risk, either because you know, mom has some high risk condition when she's not pregnant that further complicates pregnancy, or um, the baby has a complex condition, either genetic or some kind of um, abnormality in the way of the heart or anything else formed. Um, or um, they have a history of complicated pregnancies, losing pregnancies early, like the placenta getting stuck abnormally. Uh, so all those things are what I'm doing in my fellowship training. And so I will finish in June of 2022 and finally be a full adult hoping to do both high risk obstetrics and kind of like public um, global public health. work.
0: I am not very often impressed by resumes just because I feel like I know a lot of people with impressive resumes, (laughs) but your resume is really impressive. Thank you. (laughs) Thank goodness, good for you. you. Sometimes it's it's
1: actually very nice of you to say that because you know, as I'm sure you know, sometimes as you're going along these paths of academia and this and that, you feel like, my God, am I ever done? Have I accomplished anything? So, like. It's always nice, and I'm making sure I take the compliment well, so it's always nice thank you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) right? You look back at all the things that you accomplished, and you're like, wow, I really did all of that.
1: I've done some things, yes.
0: (laughs) I wanted to talk to you uh, a little bit today about two things in particular, Mm -hmm. which the entire world has been talking about. The first being uh, COVID, COVID-19, uh, ask you some questions about the vaccine. The second being abortion, since we know we have this new Texas law with abortion, I think that's bringing up a lot of questions about the abortion process. So starting with COVID-19, my first question is, can you explain a little bit about the difference between the very first variant and then this new Delta variant. I think we've heard about a third coming out. There's been a lot of confusion about what the difference between these viruses are.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I had the misfortune of, you know, as you probably know, being in New York city, being in the epicenter. So like I'm flashing back to March of, um, 2020 now? Was it 2020 when this kind of like really hit us? Yeah. Um, so, and we, we got hit hard. And I just remember like seeing pregnant women infected by it, seeing, you know, our labor floors were bustling, were full and people were fleeing the city. And at the same time we had our hospitals packed. Um, so unfortunately I have become intimately aware Um, of the COVID and intimately involved with the COVID pandemic and have done um, a lot of work kind of publishing on the things we've seen. And um, a lot has changed, obviously, since that time. And at the same time, it feels like some not much has changed at all. Um, But really that, well, I should say, when we talk about um, kind of variants for viruses, um, the important thing to know is that any virus Um, mutates and has so-called variants. Um, And what happens is like in the process of a virus replicating, right? So like it enters your body um, and it starts dividing and replicating and dividing and replicating so it can spread and kind of take over and wreak havoc, right? But in any process of dividing, there's going to be some errors, right? Because it's essentially trying to make copies of itself. So occasionally it will like make a mistake. Oftentimes that mistake doesn't allow the virus to function properly, so it kind of just dies off and the normal copies will keep going. But unsurprisingly, every so often, it'll make a kind of quote-unquote mistake that actually gives it an advantage. It's like evolution for viruses. So it gives it a, a survival advantage of sorts, whereby either it says, oh, I can actually spread faster to the next person, or if there is a, for example, vaccine that doesn't target the thing I have, then I can escape that treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these variants are essentially the mutations of the initial um, coronavirus that have managed to kind of gain an advantage and then start spreading. And they start spreading fast and fast. There's actually been quite a few variants that they've identified. Um, not only a few like Delta that have persisted enough where they are like, okay, this is the possibility to be like a true strain where we actually have to worry about it spreading and infecting on its own. Um, but that's essentially what the Delta variant is. It just has a an error or a mutation or a change that allows it to infect people um, more efficiently um, and hence has allowed it to spread.
0: Thank you for explaining that. And I've heard A lot of people obviously talking about the importance of getting vaccinated. And at this point, we know the majority of people in the United States have been vaccinated, but there's still a large portion of the population who is afraid to get vaccinated. One of the things I've heard people say is that if the vaccine is not actually preventing people from getting COVID because we've seen all of the breakthrough cases, what's the point of getting vaccinated at all? So why should people get vaccinated?
1: Yeah, no, that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's like the biggest thing I see and I hear and I'm just like, oh, I wish I could talk to that person specifically about why this makes sense. Um, So it's nice to be able to try to have a platform to talk about it. You know, so there's a, where do I start? There's so many reasons I could say why I think it's important to get vaccinated. I'm going to start with what I was talking about in terms of strains and spreads and things like that um you know part of it is just it we and we almost missed this boat a little bit we kind of missed the boat to get on top of it and if you can imagine a, a situation in which you know the pandemic broke free and then as soon as the vaccine were ready and available um let's say 90% of people got vaccinated that means that all the virus wouldn't have enough time to keep replicating and replicating and replicating to form these mistakes that could then turn into new variants that could turn into new strains. Right. So it's never too late. Like you can still get on top of, especially some of these newer variants. Um, But one reason to get vaccinated is yes, it's still possible to get sick, but because there's a lower chance and it lessens your illness, it helps kind of contain things before it gets a chance to get out of control. I think probably a more important reason I would say to get vaccinated, you know, if if people want to keep in mind altruistic reasons is that oftentimes it's really not necessarily about you. As as terrible as that may sound, like it's not, especially like the young, healthy people I hear talking about like, oh, like a lot of people come out of this okay, like, you know, it's fine. And that's true. A lot of people do come out of it okay. A lot of people don't. I've seen a lot of healthy like pregnant young women who unfortunately have terrible consequences, but you know, you're right. The overwhelming majority of young people will be okay. But the problem I see is that, for example, you may think, you know, I'm very careful. I'm very safe. I'm only around like one or two friends and then my family, but then your one or two friends, maybe around there, one or two friends, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody has exposures that they don't always recognize or want to admit. And the sad thing is, I have seen—I kid you not—a um, somebody who didn't get vaccinated and unfortunately carried the vax the um, virus to her elderly mother, who is now critically ill and looking like she's not going to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's often the older people or people with kind of like comorbidities or other illnesses that make them more susceptible to um, severe illness that we're putting at danger by taking the chance ourselves um, and then just kind of allowing ourselves to carry it to them. We're going to be fine, but oftentimes they are not fine. And the third reason I would say is obviously nothing's 100%. There is no Treatment you take, no weight loss supplement or surgery. There's no exercise you do. There is nothing in this world that's 100% ever. The flu vaccine isn't even close to 100%. The coronavirus vaccine is actually pretty close to 100%. And it's like saying, you know, if, you know, I want to give you one lottery ticket, right? And this lottery ticket, you have a one in two chance, a 50 50 chance of winning. Or you can take this other lottery ticket and this other lottery ticket, you have like a one in a thousand chance of winning, right? Like you're obviously going to choose the one with a one in two chance. You still might lose, but I'm like, hey, I'll take my chances on that 50, 50 lottery ticket so that I can win some money. And it's like similar with the vaccine, right? It's like, yes, there are people who are going to get illness, but one, you're much less likely to get illness because the chance the virus has to like make several copies before it gets attacked in your body is very low and also even if you do get sick you are less likely to be that person who ends up in the ICU critically ill and potentially not making it um so i could go i'm sure i could come up with more and more reasons but those are probably three of the yeah. biggest reasons i would say that it still makes sense to get vaccinated
0: even though yes nothing in this life is 100% and nothing ever will be so that's actually a great point thank you for taking the time to explain all of that and yeah, my grandmother actually passed from COVID. So I totally understand, like, you just don't know how people are going to respond. And a lot of people think that they'll be the ones or that their family will be the ones to be okay, right. but you don't know that for sure. Right. So, you know, I've heard people push back and say, okay, even if I get vaccinated, I get COVID, I might not have a lot of symptoms because I'm vaccinated. Can I still pass it?
1: Yeah, definitely. You you can still pass it. Um, it's, you know, it's just that one, especially because there's a lower chance of you even getting infected, like that's already a step in the right de- direction. And two, you can pass it correct, whether you have symptoms or whether you have no symptoms, which brings up two points. One is that that's why until we get to a point where we can reach herd immunity, or this becomes like, more like a common cold or the flu viruses of the past, right? The influenza pandemic was a pandemic at one point too. Like we still have to take these precautions. And I know I hear a lot of people say like, what's the point of getting vaccinated? I still have to wear my mask and we still have to do all this hand washing and we still have to socially distance. That's because we haven't gotten it under control yet yes, when you get vaccinated, you still have to do all those things until we can get it to a point where this is no longer wreaking havoc. And then all those other measures will go away because enough people will be vaccinated that you know we're not having to worry about it as much. Um, and you know, yes, when you're vaccinated, you can still spread it, but also you have some of the studies for some of the strains, you have a much lower viral load or amount of the virus that your body actually carries even if you do have it, which also helps make it less likely for you to spread it. So the vaccine just lowers the risks all across the board from getting it, getting sick to spreading it. Um, But we still have to take precautions until we can get it under control.
0: Now, thank you for explaining that. And I want to ask too, because I've heard a lot of people, and I would say rightfully so, especially Black people talk about the mistrust of the government. And they always bring up the Tuskegee, you know, incident for people don't know. It's when they were telling black men they were treating them for syphilis and really they were not treating them at all. They had no intention of treating. So what would you say to people, especially black people who mistrust the government and just, you know, don't want to get the vaccine and think it's just another ploy to hurt them?
1: Yeah. Um, Of all the reasons I hear not to get the vaccine, that's like the toughest one ever, because I don't have the best response for it, right? It's not like I can say, what? Like, why would you not trust the government? Like, it's more like, yes, you are wise in being skeptical. And yes, you are wise in kind of, you know, worrying and making sure that somebody out here has your best interests at heart. Because not even historically, but presently, there are many times and many ways in which we can see that the government does not have black people's best interests at heart, right? Or people's people of color, minorities best interests at heart, immigrants best interests at heart. Um so my first response to that is always I get it. You're right. It is hard to trust the go- government and you don't have any reason to trust the government. Um and it also kind of breaks my heart in some ways because you know it's it's really this like When it comes to interventions or treatments and things that actually do work, um, it's almost like the abuse of people of color minorities has created like the perfect cycle of destruction, right? Not only have they put us in a position to not have the same benefits, right, to advance, to have the same health um, status, but then you also... Break our trust so that if there's anything you put out that does actually work, okay, we're going to be hesitant to believe you and slower to take it up. And it's just like so many different ways of beating us down that it's truly heartbreaking. Um, And so, you know, with the vaccine, I say, you know, as As poor as this argument may be, I'm like, well, I mean, there's also a lot of white people who are getting it. (laughs) In fact, many more white people than black people, right? And you can see them, they take it out of the same vial, they give it to a white person, they give it to a black person, they give it to a Latino person, they give it to, you know, an Indian person or an Asian person, right? So, you know, it's not targeting any specific group, which hopefully gives a little bit of reassurance. And, you know, the second thing is, I don't, I honestly don't even think the government is pushing the vaccine because they care about us, right? I think they're pushing the vaccine because they've seen the way in which the pandemic has destroyed the economy and destroyed people's lives. So for them, it's a secondary benefit, right? It's really the health system, which I get it. I know also reasons to mistrust the health system, but health professionals who are like, listen, you guys, this is like ravaging us. And so my hope is just that and especially as more and more time passes and we get more and more data and they're seeing more people be okay from it, that you can look to somebody who you trust, who you know actually has your best interests at heart and, you know, take a little bit of a leap of faith and a little bit of a trust in the science um, and and do what's best for us before it ends up setting us even further back, right? Because, like, vaccination rates for minorities are lower than they are for, you know, white Americans. And I... I can only imagine that widening and widening disparities, and that's something I really don't wanna see happen.
0: Yeah, Now, thank you for being so honest in your response because it is a very touchy subject, and I do think a lot of people feel gaslit Don't tell me that the government has always had my best interest at heart. Don't tell me that there aren't disparities in the health system. And so just acknowledging that those things are true. Yes. And there are still things we can do to protect ourselves. And one of the things I noticed very early on is that a lot of these white men with money and politicians were the first to get the vaccine. yeah. Trying to ravage communities of color or just control people. They would have dished the vaccine out to everybody else, but not taken it themselves.
1: Right. And that's exactly how I have seen it in a way that I hope it's like a weird twisted way of that, like kind of encouraging us that this hopefully actually does have some benefit. Right. It's like they've been trying to get it from the very beginning out of turn, out of line. So like there's clearly something good about this um, that we have to take advantage of to save ourselves from already disparate outcomes from getting the virus.
0: A hundred percent. So I want to ask you, too, just because this is kind of in your wheelhouse, I've also heard things about the vaccine making women infertile, or if you take the vaccine, it'll ruin your pregnancy. Have you seen any, you know, disparate effects from the vaccine on women who are pregnant? And what do you have to say to people who think that taking the vaccine will make them infertile?
1: Yeah, I um. Put out a little video about this kind of earlier in the pandemic because I was getting this question a lot. And the odd thing is, like, this is one I never would have anticipated coming up because, from a scientific standpoint, I was like, I just cannot understand how the vaccine could possibly impact fertility. But you know what? At the end of the day, what it is, is people think of the thing that's most precious to them or the things that are most precious to them and the things that they can't see to prove or disprove a link between. And they're like, you know what? I don't want to take my chances. So I hear you. Um, The good news is for people, even like doing IVF, people who've been trying or not trying to get pregnant and people who have been pregnant, we now have so, like all the things I said hypothetically, did it make sense why it should affect your pregnancy or your fertility? We're finally being able to have data to show people and say, listen, tens of thousands i think I don't know, even hundreds of thousands of pregnant women have gotten the vaccine throughout their various trimesters and there's no higher rate of miscarriages preterm birth like abnormalities of the baby like nothing nothing that they can see as a signal as to why we should be concerned about that vaccine in in pregnancy and honestly that's not surprising because of all the vaccines we recommend in pregnancy, you know, it's similar in that it's not a live virus. So we're not worried about it infecting you. Um, and, you know, if anything, we just think about the actual benefits and that's what people actually usually forget It's not just like, how can it harm me, but, Oh, there's actually a benefit in that. This is one of the ways you can protect your newborn baby who can't otherwise be protected. Like, and that's the only thing we have to give you at this point. So yeah. definitely for pregnancy, like, the societies have gone from saying it should be a conversation with your doctor to now we strongly recommend it, um, and also the fertility societies too. Like it doesn't affect people's IVF. Many people have intentionally and accidentally got pregnant after taking the vaccine, and so we just have a lot of data to kind of reassure us that all the things we thought are are kind of true and that it's perfectly safe.
0: That's so good to hear. My niece was a vaccine baby. Her mom got vaccinated. Oh. And she- Pregnant. Oh it was nice for her to have that coverage for the first six months as well. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, another myth, or maybe not myth, but thing that I've heard floating around is about how there's aborted fetus tissue in the vaccine. So I know a lot of people are trying to get religious exemptions because they don't believe in abortion. Is there any truth to that? Why do people believe that this is true? You know,
1: I, this one was like a perfect example of why, like even your physician, educated health professional scientists, if they ever give you like a flat out yes or no, without an explanation, like be a little skeptical. Cause I had a friend ask me this and I was like, what is this madness? Absolutely not. Like now people are coming up with all kinds of crazy things. Like, no. And I said, wait, hold on. Let me like, go look it up, <laughs> do a little bit of research and actually figure out where this is coming from. Right. Cause like people don't usually pull things out of thin air. Right. Um, so I looked into it and, um, I will say, let me start with the most important thing that I want people to hear. If you stop listening to the rest of this conversation is that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine have zero link to aborted fetal cells. None. Okay. So like these MRNA vaccines don't use that technology to be developed. So if anybody is concerned about that for like, you know, religious or ethical reasons, then those are the two that if you absolutely must like aim towards them, then sure go for that. Now the aborted fetal cells, there actually is some truth behind that. Um, It's that I think back in the like sixties or so, um, There was, there's a little bit of controversy as to like whether one of them was a miscarriage and the other was a terminated pregnancy or they are both terminated pregnancy. A lot says they both, one one source said like one was a miscarriage and they um, used some of the cells from that um, terminated pregnancy and um, those cells have been replicated And used for like vaccine development and other like, and probably cancer research for generations and generations. So the cells that are now being used are like decades removed from those initial cells. But that was like kind of like the originator cell line. Um, So, yes, there were aborted fetal cells that were used. And what happens is um, they use these cells to... so. Some vaccines are like mRNA vaccines, right? They give your body some instructions. Your body makes the spike protein so that the antibodies can form and recognize that. Other um, vaccines are delivered to your body in a different way. They're delivered to your body in a virus that's not alive, like a Essentially, a dead virus that can just take the signals to your cell to start making antibodies. So things like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is like an inactivated virus that delivers the information to your body, that needs that inactivated virus needs an environment to like for them to grow it to actually essentially make the vaccine. And so they have to use some cells in some lab, and you know, using human cells is better than using. Animal cells to make these viruses for humans. Um, so oftentimes they use some kind of, you know, human cells to replicate the vaccine so they can make more and more and more to be able to produce it. Um, so yes, the Johnson and Johnson, I think the AstraZeneca also use um, some human cells and are thought to be related to that initial fetal line. Um, but those are the only two that I think have been um, in any way connected.
0: So they're using them to grow the vaccine or to replicate, but they're not actually inside the vaccine.
1: Correct. Correct. That is exactly right. Yeah. They use the cells simply to like grow and grow and grow that inactive virus to, to then like use that in the vaccine and give to people. It has no cells from the abortive fetus actually in the vaccine.
0: Gotcha. And that's just, so there are some vaccines that use this method. There are other vaccines that do not, but in none of the vaccines do he, aborted. Fetus cells exist inside the. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Um, And as you know, speaking about abortion, I want to kind of pivot and have a little bit of a conversation just in that space because I know it's also a very sensitive subject for people. There have been a lot of there's been a lot of talk since Texas and SB8 about what it means to be a viable fetus. I know Roe vs Wade. I think they said it was somewhere between three and four months. Uh, but, you know, people have said science has changed since then, maybe babies can live before that time. And we've seen babies that have been born that have been able to make it to that, that point. So what does it mean to be a viable fetus? When does a baby actually become? And viable meaning it can live outside of the mother's womb. When does a baby become a viable fetus?
1: Yeah, that question is so tricky. Um, and I'm sure you know, having pediatricians in your family, that that target has moved. Um, and yes, due to technology. The the tricky thing, the the problem I always have with kind of answering this question is um, one, when does a fetus become viable, meaning when can it survive or have a chance of surviving outside the mother's womb? We still have to keep in mind that you know, even when that baby is born and is surviving outside the mother's womb, it's still surviving, obviously, with artificial techniques and technology, right? Like, even at the limits of viability that we call now, there's not going to be a baby born that you can just, like, send off into the world to live and grow and breathe and feed on its own. Like, they still need a lot of support. So, like, somebody technically, hypothetically, you could say like, oh, when can a baby survive on its own without ventilators, without like feeding tubes? Like that's a very different question than when can it have any chance of survival with lots of support. But yes, you're right. We typically talk about like with the medical technologies and support we have, When is the earliest baby can survive? And even that's tricky. I think the standard most places, like a pretty accepted definition is about 24 weeks, which yes, has moved up since time has gone on. And sorry, I know like obstetricians always talk about pregnancy in terms of weeks and most people understand it in months. So like, obviously that's like roughly six months, give or take, because there's not Mm -hmm. quite four weeks in every month. Um, So maybe it's like a little bit closer to five, five to six months. Um, but 24 weeks. And even that is not the same depending on which hospital you're at. So I know some hospitals that, you know, even Columbia can start to resuscitate babies at 23 weeks. And I know some hospitals that can resuscitate babies or try to resuscitate babies as early as 22 weeks. Now, a lot of those babies will not survive, even with all the help in the world. And a lot of those babies or a good number of those babies, even if they do survive, may not have what we call intact survival or survival with kind of a normal quality of life. It can range anywhere from like mild developmental delay or kind of help in early start help in school to anything as long as not able to walk on the child's own for the rest of its life, feed on its own, seizures. Um, so even at these limits of viability, it's like very complicated to talk about even what like quality of life would be like for a baby born then. But I would say a pretty standard answer is around 24 weeks, so sometimes between five and six months, and some a little bit earlier.
0: It's so interesting that you make that point because I know for a lot of my friends who grew up very conservative Christian, and I completely understand you know not wanting to have an abortion. I totally understand believing that. Birth begins at inception, or life begins at inception, and there is a spirit and a soul. And I don't want anything to do with abortion. I think it gets a little more complicated when we talk about trying to control what other women believe and what they do with their bodies. But for people who choose not to get an abortion or don't believe in abortion, I get it. But I also think it's very interesting when we talk about, you know, God's plan for your body, and to say that science can terminate a pregnancy and that's wrong, but. If the baby's born before it can actually be viable on its own, you're going to ask the hospital to use science to do everything in its power to keep that baby alive. And it's like, well, if you're just subjecting to God's plan without science, shouldn't you just take the baby home and take its chances? Like, shouldn't you not use all of the science and technology? Because aren't you still kind of playing God? I'm
1: so glad you said that. I was like, I can't be the only person who thinks about that and who like has that debate and that dilemma. And like for context, this is why I always like to give context too, right? Like I grew up Catholic, so I too am Christian, right? And so even as I was going into this field or getting older, like I grappled a lot, like with what does it mean to like be able to support or perform or you know, refer women for abortion, counsel them on abortion and you know, the reality of life coupled with faith is always a tricky thing, but, you know, safe to say, I've come around to understand the importance of, um, you know, access to abortion. And you're right. It's like when you offer people the option of comfort care, you know, letting nature take its course and see what happens. um, People look at you like you're a monster sometimes, like some people do. And it's like, well, do we always let... God and nature take his course? Or do we choose when we want to intervene? Yeah. When we intervene?
0: yeah. And people have very different beliefs about that. And I always thought it was interesting because a lot of people who are very skeptical of vaccines and science and doctors, and you know, my mom's a pediatrician. So whenever their kids get sick, they're calling my mom, like, what can you do? What medicines do you have? What vaccines? What machines? And I'm like, okay, so you understand that there is you know, some benefits that God gave us the ability exactly. to create some of the science to have, you know, this gift of being able to sustain life, this gift of being able to even to decide when is the best time to have child. And I think it gets even a lot more complicated when people are very pro birth, but then don't want mothers to have assistance. And, are not supportive of people who are struggling after the child is born and even support the death penalty. That's always kind of confused me. Yeah. A
1: lot of conflicting philosophies, honestly.
0: So next question for you, what do you think will be the effect of this new Texas law? And for those people who aren't aware, basically the Texas law allows private citizens to sue anybody who they think is involved with helping a woman getting a vaccine. So it's not necessarily coming after the woman because technically we can't do that via Roe versus Wade, but you can be really sneaky and say, well, you counseled this woman and told her that it was her choice and you gave this woman a ride and you performed the vaccine. So the counselor, pastor, Uber driver, doctor who performed, the abortion, they can all be sued by private citizens. What do you think the effect of this law is going to be practically?
1: It's so sad. I think it's, it's going to have the exact intended effect that they wanted without being able to penalize the woman, right. Or the reproductive person. Um, They, you know, it's, it takes us back to a time when, and I don't, I watched this very strange movie once I, I kind of recommend it. It's a little bit weird. It gives me a little bit of the creeps, but I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie, If These Walls Could Talk. It follows the story of three women grappling with the idea of abortion in three different time periods, the 50s, the 70s and the 90s. Um, And in the 90s, the target or the main character in the story was Cher, who was actually the physician who was performing the abortion. And, you know, you see the protesters outside of Planned Parenthood and like some of them become violent. And eventually she, I shouldn't give it away, but I'm sure many people won't watch it. She gets shot Mm -hmm. and she dies after performing an abortion. Um, So, you know, when you instill that kind of fear and harm to people's lives who are supporting these women's choices, undoubtedly, I like, or I already know physicians who are like running away from Texas. Who don't want to work te- in Texas who, you know, are for- afraid to perform their duties in Texas or who do are fear for their life or their career. Like ultimately it's going to decrease access. Mm-hmm. If we don't do something about it soon, it will decrease access to abortion. Um, and it's, I wish people would understand. It's like, if, Abortion isn't legal. That's not going to stop people from having abortions, right? It's like weed wasn't legal. Did that stop people from smoking? <laughs> like, you know, It's like when we say like teach abstinence so that kids don't have sex. Like that, It never works that way. It never works to just restrict the information, the access to do it safely. Um, and what it's going to lead to is women are still going to get abortions, right? They're still going to get abortions. And some people are going to end up dying or having like their life in serious harm from it, right? Because at the end of the day, pregnancy obviously is a very personal choice and it is a decision a woman makes to essentially put her life at risk. Pregnancy is like of no benefit to a mom, right? I can I can hardly think of any ways in which it helps like a, the person who's carrying the pregnancy's health, but you are taking that risk to your life to birth a child. And so at the end of the day, if you're taking all the risk, you should be the one who's making the decision, whatever the reason may be. Um, yeah. So I'm really scared, actually, for the way it's going to harm women's lives.
0: Thank you for, for saying that, for explaining that. I totally get it. You don't want people performing abortions in back alleys. And then instead of having one life that could have been here, you have two lives that are lost. You have the right. woman and the child. And I think it's a lot more complex and people are are making the issue. And for you in your practice and through the things that you've seen, how have women sh- struggled with this decision to get an abortion? Do you see them yeah. struggling with religion or with their parents or what their what their partners will say? And what type of effect is this having on women?
1: Yeah, I have. Um you know, obviously not in relation to this law, but just in general, right, without even the added pressure of the legal system, I have seen the whole range of the way women struggle with the decision to get an abortion. I would, I mean, I'll never say never, but it's like people don't recognize like when a woman makes a decision to get an abortion, she's not like, Great! This is the moment I've been waiting for all my life. It's so easy, like let's do it and get it done. That's not the mindset. So, like we know, it's not an easy decision for them. So, whatever goes into that decision is is critical to recognize, right? And um, it's it's tough because I try not to pin it on people having um, like very easy to understand or sympathize with reasons, right? Because I think all Choices and all reasons that a woman might use to make that choice are valid. But let me give an example that's easy for people to connect with, right? Like, I've seen a family get pregnant, they come in for an anatomy scan. The baby has, you know, it's not a common thing, obviously. There were complications that could possibly lead to this, but baby had no lower limbs, no legs. Bladder was completely outside the body, missing like a good chunk of the front of the ribs. Heart was completely outside of the body with the lung kind of flapping out um, intestines were outside of the body. you know i've seen babies with no head who would that get formed and so one like when you tell women about the chance of survival that's slim to none, like it's truly truly negligible in some of these cases, like especially the case with a baby born with no head you're asking a woman to carry a pregnancy, feel that baby move inside of them to know that that baby is going to die. And on top of that, the babies often, if they're going to try anything to survive, to save them, or even if they're not, right, even if they're just going to support their life or, like, let their life pass as they may, like, those babies are not suffering, right? Like, the baby whose heart is outside of its body and has to be, like, kept in some particular way to not let the elements you know, ravage the organs, right? Or, you know, not being able to breathe or these babies are suffering, right? So it's like knowing your baby's going to suffer, knowing your baby's not going to make it and still having to carry that baby to term, like even in a case that's as easy to sympathize with as that, women still struggle with it, right? And so women struggle with what it means for the life of the baby they're carrying. Women struggle with what pregnancy means for their life. And I've seen like, You know, mothers or, you know, people who genuinely care about the person say, we don't believe in that in this family. We're going to take this person. We're going to support this person. We're going to rally around and we're all going to do it. But all that woman can think of, you can see in her eyes. She's thinking about how she's not going to make it. She's going to have a tough time making it through the rest of high school. She may not be able to go on to do what she wants to do with it. Like it's life altering what her life will look like going forward compared to what it will look like. I've seen partners say, oh, uh, my my sister had twins at you know 24 weeks and they were in the hospital for like four months. That was perfectly fine. And the woman said, well, she told me there's a chance these babies could have seizures. If born now, if they have to come now, I have a sister with seizures and I don't want to see my child live that life. Like I know what that's like. I know the suffering. So there is a range of reasons from health conditions, mom's life and well-being to whatever the reason is that you can't imagine and don't need to have to imagine that women have to, and sorry, I hate to keep using the word women. I'm like still like not trained and I'm working on using more kind of like gender inclusive language. So if anybody hears this and has some suggestions, please slide into my Instagram, whatever, to let me know a better way to couch this. I'm just too used to saying it and I really apologize, but that people, Um, have to deal with to go through um, kind of this struggle of having an abortion and that nobody will ever understand. I mean, they always understand it when it ends up being their family member or sometimes, but like when it, then it's strange or they can't imagine that there's a reason that makes sense. It's so strange to me.
0: I appreciate you being so mindful and so empathetic. I think a lot of times when we're thinking about abortion, we think about our own lives and our own situations. And so If you have a a family to support you, and even if the guy or whoever got you pregnant isn't there for you, uh, but you know the child's going to be loved and supported and people are going to rally around and be there for that child, what abortion looks like for you might be very different than someone. I had a friend who got an abortion recently who never really had a relationship with their dad. Mom has mental health issues. The guy didn't want the baby. She doesn't have a, a ton of money and bringing a baby into that world is a very different conversation for people. So, you know, I, I do think it's hard and it's one that people have to wrestle with. And I think it's hard for me to understand people trying to make those decisions for other people.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Like many people could argue, right? Like I would argue maybe she made the most sympathetic choice she could for herself and that child. Right. Because if she's imagining and everybody has a different idea of what they think is a reasonable quality of life. And I don't think we can impose on someone and say, like, you should accept this as a quality of life for yourself or your child, because I've decided that that's what's reasonable quality of life. Right. Like she made the decision that she thought was right, not just for herself, but also the baby. When you think about the like circumstances surrounding, you know, what was going to occur. So, yeah, I applaud her for making the decision that was right for her.
0: Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. I feel like people are really going to appreciate it. And as someone who spent a lot of time in law school, I get really frustrated when people make arguments about the constitution or the law, that are just flat out wrong. And there seems to be this distrust of experts and okay, don't trust me, that's fine. But then when you get into a bind and you have a car accident and you're looking at legal paperwork, you have a contract key signed. Now you're willing to concede that you don't know what you're talking about and asking me to look at what's going on. And I see a lot of that happening with lots of different professions, especially the medical profession right now, where everybody has WebMD, everyone has YouTube. So everyone feels like they're a doctor, but really people don't know what it takes and really how the body works. So, uh, Thank you for sharing your expertise with us and your heart. Uh, oh, is there anything, any lasting words that you would like to leave with people?
1: Um, you know, I no no decision in life is easy, right? When we talk, whether we talk about the vaccines, COVID to abortion, like everything is a personal decision. And I just want to urge people to kind of like you said, like social media has been a blessing and a curse in that information is so readily available that misinformation is now available. Um, Find somebody who studied it, find an expert and somebody that you trust, right? Not just any random person, but somebody that you trust um, and do yourself the favor of getting yourself all the right information. You may still make the same decisions you may make, but like make it with the right information. Um, And with, with the coronavirus and COVID pandemic, I'm just hopeful that, you know, we as minorities and as people of color will kind of, um, do what's best to kind of support our communities. Um, and, and when it comes to the abortion, everybody like have a heart and and recognize that all these are very personal decisions. So, um, I hope, you know, seeing the way, like you said, that even as medical professionals, we grapple with you know, some of these things day in and day out, some, from the smallest to the biggest decisions, you know, we're human too, but um, we all have to do what kind of is right for not only ourselves, but our communities. And so I hope hearing some of these stories has has helped your decision somewhere along the way.
0: Yeah. And heaven forbid anybody actually have a serious illness or issue where they need a medical professional. You, I think it's important to realize that the people that are here, although you might not respect the doctors and the nurses and the people that are urging you to get this vaccination. Uh, remember that in dire situations, you probably would trust their expertise. And right yeah. now, the coronavirus pandemic is a dire situation for America. So I think exactly. it's a time to trust our experts instead of you know pretending that we know it all. And myself included, I'm not a doctor. No matter how many doctors I have in my family, I, I don't have that degree. So there are certain things I don't understand and I appreciate you taking the time to explain.
1: Well, when I have my law questions, I'll come to you. Yeah. I'm not an expert in that field. So I appreciate you though having me and and letting me share my voice and my perspective. And, and this has been so lovely. It's been amazing.
0: Awesome. And where can people find you on Instagram or how can they look you up?
1: On Instagram, that's probably the easiest and the best and the most consistent way. You can find me at Miss, M-I-S-S, Yukachi is my first name, um, I think I have the same handle on Twitter. My Twitter is a little plus minus sometimes. Um, And I do have a Facebook page, Dr. Akachi and but Instagram is probably going to be the best way. I have my hashtag education videos that everybody can check out to find more information about kind of like women's health or female health and reproductive health and family health. And I hope everybody gets a little
0: something out of it. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing and thank you everyone for listening. Just be honest, just be honest, just be honest, just be honest, just beat- be honest. Just, beat- honest, just be honest, just be honest, just be honest, just be honest, yeah, just be honest, just, be real, just be told, it's the only-